opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. You know, Wobbles, I'm kind of mad at you. And as a reasonable man, I'm willing to do whatever's necessary to find a peaceful solution to these problems. All right. Um, well, welcome to what I think is episode six of uh, the Punching Up Movie podcast. And for those of you who are just tuning in, um, uh, basically what we do is we take a film from the canon uh, or a popular film or a, a film that's a beloved cult classic and we take a massive swing at it. If there's something that we don't like about it, or we just don't like the film. Or at least one of us does and the other one defends it. And so this this is a special occasion for me. I can relax a little bit. And if we've got any mail, apart from that one mail from my mate, uh, Matt, thank you for that. If you've got any fan mail, all the hate mail will be directed at me. And now it's Damien's turn to receive tidal wave of hate because you're the one on the aggressor side today, aren't you, Damien? Uh, yeah, yeah. And what I, film? What film? What film are we talking? So about? we are doing today uh, the film called Inception, yeah, which is written behind me. It is, it is. <laughs> if you're watching the, on YouTube, but yeah. for the audios, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to say quickly uh, thanks to everybody who's listened so far. And if you could like, subscribe, comment, all those kind of things, let your mates know, that would be fantastic. Thanks so much for, for listening thus far. Inception, yeah. spinning tops, dream logic, folding cities, mind-bending corporate thievery, Hans Zimmer, the planting of ideas, the human mind, the Leonardo DiCaprio starring Christopher Nolan directing action thriller from 2010, otherwise known as Ocean Inception. Ocean Inception. <laughs> or Enter the Dreaming. Enter the Dreaming. I like it. Okay, a group of thieves led by Leo try to steal corporate information through the subconscious of their victim whilst everyone is dreaming. Or are they? In the immortal words of Sir Frederick Mercury, is this the real life or is this just fantasy? You decide. Over to you. All right, so a little, little bit of background to the movie before we find out what Damien doesn't like about it. Um, it, um, Inception was the, well, I was going to say, the dream project of um, Christopher Nolan um, since around about the time he, he he made Memento. So he made Memento, it was his second film, it became a little bit of a breakout indie hit, um, which led to him being picked up by Warner Brothers and given the, uh, the, the job of remaking the, I think, the Norwegian thriller um, Insomnia. Yeah, it does that, does quite well. And he's kind of starting to be given the keys to the kingdom, and he comes up with this idea for Inception, but he doesn't feel he's ready. He's, 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 you know, he consults with his wife, Emma Thomas, and she's not sure how they're going to conceive these ideas. And so what he does is he does a couple of Batman movies and a few movies in between, learns how to make big action sequences and martial um, enormous productions. Uh, the Dark Knight makes a billion dollars, and then all of a sudden, um, Christopher Nolan can do what he wants. And so he decides, 10 years later, um, that this is the time to make Inception. And, and, it's, and it's a big logistical task. Um, he assembles his team, he writes this script. And the funny thing about the script is that he just doesn't want anybody to see the script. He doesn't want any spoilers getting out ahead of time. So he assembles the people that he wants and he literally locks them in a room and gets them to read the script in secret, and then he assembles his cast. And and it's all built around Leonardo DiCaprio. For him, like Leonardo DiCaprio is the key 
element. He's the humanizing element in, in essentially what is a, a cerebral story. And um, and then he cast the movie. Um, not necessarily the best actors available or the most high profile, but he, he cast them in terms of their compatibility with Leonardo DiCaprio more than anything else. And this includes a lot, a lot of a lot of actors that are on the up that have now become massive stars and members of the Christopher Nolan family, people like Tom Hardy, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Alan Page, Gillian Murphy, um, Ken Watanabe, who he'd already worked with. I think he worked with Murphy and Watanabe in, in Batman Begins. And then it's this enormous set that he wants to, these incredible, incredible ideas he wants to put on film, but he wants to do as much of it practically as possible. So it's shot over, I think, Four continents, five cities. He's recre recreating it you know, like in camera, all these incredible effects. Like there's a bit where um, Paige and DiCaprio were sat in this Paris cafe in the middle of a dream and the street explodes. And he recreates this explosion using air cannons. Um, there's a bit where uh, a truck crashes through. Oh, no, a train, sorry. And he literally builds this sort of balsa wooden fiberglass you know um sort of train structure over 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 a over a truck uh, you know he he even seems to command the elements you know because the, the climax takes place in in a, in a snowy mountain fortress within a dream and and he and he's he's got this location picked in calgary and then come nearer and nearer the shoot there's no snow and he's going to recreate the snow and then as if obeying the will of christopher nolan there's the biggest snowfall calgary's known in years but they're worried about the avalanche. So he literally creates his own avalanches. So he gets these people to, to fly around mountains, dropping bombs to create an avalanche he needs. And so, so it's this incredible feat of analog special effects sort of orchestration. And then delivers the film. The film is about $168 million, the budget. And he delivers it on time and under budget and releases it. And it is a monster hit. And it makes something like $880 million and, and has become a bit of a science fiction, beloved classic, um, recent classic, and Damien, you don't like it. Yeah. So what's, what's, it for, out, initially, initially, what's your history? What's your history with Inception? Yeah, so it came out in 2010. I don't really yeah. remember. I just listened to a podcast and they were saying that, that there weren't many good films out in that year, but I have to look back and see what the films were because I probably... Well, I, I remember, I remember what, I can help you a little bit. I remember what it was up against in the Oscars because it was nominated for a load of Oscars, mainly technical ones, but it did get best film and best original screenplay. And it was up against, it was beaten by The King's Speech. Wow. Uh, you know, apart from the technical, you know, and and the Social Network was the other big, okay, um, brilliant movie that it was up against, and I think yeah. Nolan lost his Oscar. You could argue completely fairly, you know, to Aaron Sorkin for the Social Network. I think, I think, you know, no, no, you know, that, that's one of the few Oscar things where you, you can't. Yeah, it was Finch. It was uh, what, what for writing? You mean? Yeah, for writing. So it was Aaron Sorkin who wrote it. Obviously, Finch yeah, yeah, yeah. directed the Social yeah. Network. Yeah. Um, it came out, and I think. I was just so put off by the fanboy element. Uh, my main problem with the film is the lack of heart. There's no warmth, really. I love Memento. Let's rewind, sorry. So yeah. Memento was the first film I saw, which most people saw. And then I uh, bought his first film following on DVD, which was quite interesting. Uh, it's a film that he made over like a year, every weekend over a year, something like that. And while it sort of didn't contain like top, 
um, actors, it had some great ideas in it. And you could see there was like kernels of something special. And that's the thing that gave him the the money for Memento. And I rewatched Memento recently because I've not seen that since then. And I thoroughly enjoyed Memento. I think somehow, even though Guy, there's still a coldness, there's a vulnerability in Guy Pierce's character that I don't see in Leonardo DiCaprio's. I, I-D-G-A-F about Leonardo DiCaprio, his whole like journey. I, I don't care. I really don't care. Like I'm not emotionally attached to any of it. Now I know that it's meant to be cerebral. No, it's meant to be a cerebral um, thing and, uh, and that's fine. But if I'm watching a film, I want to be able to latch onto something. Yeah. Even if it is a cerebral situation, I want to sort of care in some way, shape or form. Like, is it a dream? Is it not? Do I care? I don't care. Like, it looks great. It's technically amazing. Um, there's some great acting in it. You know, that snow James Bond bit. Um, uh, uh, it's not Man with a Golden. Spy no, Love Me. On a Majesty's Secret Service, it's referenced. Yeah. Yeah. There's also Spy Love Me as well, yeah. mate. There's one skiing yeah. bit. I yeah. love me. Um, uh, I just got bored by. I feel that if I'm not fully engaged in it, then I just switch off. And I think that was my problem back yeah. then, that maybe I couldn't articulate as well uh, or as badly as I am doing now. Well, well, anyway, but, 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 yeah, I was say, um, don't, don't, don't reveal what you felt on the, about the rewatch just yet. But it's just like I'm, I'm just going to sort of probe this a little bit more because Christopher Nolan's problem initially with his own script that he felt it was like too remote and too um too cerebral and that he 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 worked with leonardo dicaprio to to sort of humanize the character and and and, and he felt he, and he felt like the linchpin really was the the whole because you got i can never pronounce the second name marianne cotillard cotillard yeah well she, she she exists as a character that exists purely in his dreams as his, as his sort of dead wife and she's there that the, the kind of agent of chaos in his mission isn't she is the thing we didn't mention um so whenever he goes into people's dreams she pops up and she's this disruptive element and um and 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 and, and, he, and he felt and DiCaprio felt that that was the human element that that made the film clearly the opposite of how you felt so why do you think that fails because there's a lot of effort gone in to kind of make him a man with a a sort of secret and you know and, and a, you know a, a man like tormented by guilt that's manifesting you know what happened to his wife which we won't give away and and the presence of his wife in his dream Why won't we give it away? let's give it away man. well no no, no it's just a story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay so yeah i just i wanted to talk quickly um very quickly about the whole sort of spoiler thing like that's yeah. a big it's a big thing that if you're listening to this 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 yeah. podcast and you haven't seen it like you know you it's on you in a sense right like yeah, we, we, we're discussing we are discussing it we've in our previous um, uh, uh, episodes, we've spoiled things left, right, and centre. You know, like we've we've put that in. Um, I think that you know, yeah. If the spoiler alert, we're going to be discussing some stuff. Like I'll say yeah. it now. If you want. But I think there's too much pandering towards that sort of thing at the moment. And if you yeah. come across something and listen to something, I don't know. I have much sympathy for you if you get upset that you've been, you've had something spoiled. Anyway, that's just a side note. Why does it not work? Leonardo DiCaprio based his character on Christopher Nolan, right? I didn't. I know. I know. I know that Nolan assembled the team, the fictional team, like they were making a movie. So when, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that so that DiCaprio was the director. 
uh, Ellen Page is the production designer because she's like the yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. Tom Hardy's the actor, you know, yeah, things like that. Um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio said in his press tour many times that he was that he based on Christopher Nolan. Oh, so right, I didn't know that, yeah. but maybe that was like a simplified version of what you were just talking about, yeah. you know. Um, and I feel like it was what my problem was with the Batman films, yeah. Um, that the, the coldness, I just mm. I, I, and and I think Christian Bale's a, a perfect um, uh, foil. If that's not the right word, way of using that word, but for uh, Nolan because he also lacks some sort of. I think he's a brilliant actor. Do you mean you mean he's like a perfect I, avatar for Nolan? Because a, fo a foil would be opposite. Because so. yeah, foil is the opposite. Foil, isn't right. he? Because Heath Ledger is much needed humor and chaos yes. in a humor and humanity. You know, yeah. to, to, to yeah. an extent, um, as crazy as he is. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I think that um, that's what Christopher Nolan does. He's very, he is very cerebral. Like that's his, that's his vibe, yeah. and he's not trying to mollycoddle you. And so, even though he tried to uh, imbue the uh, Cobb Leonardo DiCaprio Cobb story and Marion Cotillard's wife yeah. um, with more humanity or emotion, it didn't work because. I don't want to say he doesn't have that in him because of course he does he has that in him but like as an artist that's not where he leans to so I, I just I mean didn't you did you feel the same way no, I, I actually you... agree with you I, I struggled I struggled a lot with Leonardo DiCaprio and I like him but I've gone on a journey liking him I, f I feel like there was a callow period there's a period where he's a brilliant like young actor like say um what's eating Gilbert Grape and this boy's life he's mesmeric and then he sort of peaks as being a great boy actor in Romeo and Juliet. And then he really struggles to become a man in, in his first few Scorsese films. So you look at him in like uh, Gangs of New York and he's just dwarfed by Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis eats him alive. And then mm. I don't think it's until Wolf of Wall Street that he really kind of clicks into the Scorsese vibe. And then he's on a kind of really good run of roles where he's now he's brilliant. I think he's, mm. I, I think he's an astonishing, like great movie star, great actor, I love the stuff he does for Tarantino. I think Tarantino finds different sort of vulnerabilities in him and, you know, whether he's playing a nasty racist or a kind of vain movie star alcoholic. But at that point, I think he's almost on that cusp of not quite having the, you know, the ability to sort of make you care about him in, in that role. He doesn't quite have the gravitas to be to it. Here's, here's a point. Here's a point I'd like to throw at you. The film reminded me a lot of, uh, you know, right? You, you said Ocean's Inception. It reminds me of the Cape movie. It also reminds me a lot of like Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible movies, mm. which I think are a lot more fun and equally well made. And also, there's a similar ethos in the, the especially in the more recent ones, where Tom Cruise is at great pains to create in-camera action. Do you think the film would have worked better with Tom Cruise? It would have been slightly older and has that charisma and has that um, has that. And he does. He does have that sort of vulnerability. I think you know um, when he wants to. He certainly does. Yeah. I mean, I'm just not a big Tom Cruise fan. Yeah, I I, I like him. Um, yeah. And so if 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 Tom Cruise was in it, it would probably push me away from it even further. Yeah. Um, I, I I've seen maybe two of the Mission Impossible films and then like let them go. Didn't watch Maverick. I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm just not interested. You know, like yeah. there's, there's lots of people. There's enough people to watch Tom Cruise without yeah. with me just sort of standing in the background watching some art house French film like by myself. It's I'm quite happy doing. All right, all right, all right. So I think that I think the cast member that's the most fun, and I'm not a massive fan of this actor, but I think uh -huh. he's great in this. Tom Hardy. 
hundred percent. Yeah, if you if you swap the roles, if if, yeah. if, Tom, if Tom Hardy took the role, would it be a bad yeah. film? Would, would you yes. feel everything? Everything? Yes. 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 Yes, I think yeah. no doubt. I also heard in this podcast after Titanic, Leonardo DiCaprio purposely started taking films that would sort of um, uh, like almost alienate his audience. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, as, as a little bit of a sort of kickback to the, um, you know, uh, juvie lead, um, taking films that were kind of would be problematic for yeah. a movie star. Yeah. Um, and I think he's probably gone on a little slight journey of being, you know, yeah. And, and all this, somebody was also saying that like Shutter Island and this are quite similar. They were re released in the yeah. same year. Oh, were they? Yeah. I didn't realise they were that close. Well, they were made around the same time yeah. as well. Yeah. So I just thought it's quite interesting that he would have taken this. Well, obviously it's big and it's bold and it's probably, you know, like nothing else that's... My problem is, is that no heart. I think that if I watched a, a, a Mission Impossible film, I'd probably find more heart and more emotion in it. I would and that, probably, and, that, and that's what I think. I almost think there's too much pseudo heart in the film. In I, this, I, yeah, in Inception, because yeah. because yeah. I, I think the bits with the wife drag the film down. The crucial yeah. bits where you, it needs to be propelling from like one set piece to another, and and it stops and judders and. You know, and you know his wife turns up, and and then everything like grinds to a halt. I think I, I would have preferred a much more streamlined movie, where you didn't know you kn you knew that you knew that he was burned because you know at the beginning that he's done something that's burned and he can't go to America or be arrested, and and I, I kind of wish you didn't know what that was, and and it was just about him getting back to America, and you didn't need to know that he had kids waiting for him. You didn't need to know he had yeah. this like um, sort of horrible like thing that had happened with his wife. And, and 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 if it had just been streamlined, and and, and the thing I kept it kept reminding me of is 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 the sort of Matrix, which it sort of has superficial comparisons with, where they lay out the ground rule philosophically in the first sort of half hour, and then it's action, and you know what the stakes are, and it's action, and and it works a lot better, you know, because I, 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 because I, I think because I think almost it becomes hamstrung by its own ambition a bit. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that the the set pieces end up not being as effective as they could be because of the lack of grabbing onto some humanity. You know, uh, uh, Succession. Uh, I love Succession, and uh, one of the uh, things that people say when they watch one or two episodes is, oh, "I can't really watch it. I don't. I don't like any of the characters." But as you watch more and more episodes, you start to see the humanity in the characters and you understand yeah. why they behave like that. And I think that there's no real, the psychology is missing in this film. It's not there, but because the psychology is not there, that's one of the key elements that doesn't, or at least the connection between the psychology and the psyche and the subconscious, yeah. the true subconscious, yeah. it doesn't exist. It's just, it's, 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 it's uncanny valley. It's, yeah. um, it's, it's it's black and white without the splashes of colour that need to be in there. I I actually think it's a deceptively stupid movie. I agree. Yeah, because I, I think I think there's, there's these great pains for them to kind of explain the dream world, but I, I'll just reveal in my rewatch I didn't like it. Um, yeah, I, I that, that that might be becoming evident anyway. You know, but but it's like I <laughs> remember remember really liking it when I saw it. I remember it being Mark Kermode's film of the year. He's a bit of a Nolan fanboy. Um, just, but but I watched it expecting to enjoy it, having paid ninety nine, forked out ninety nine p of my own money to buy it from B 
Beast and Ox Bath <laughs> 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 in Nottingham. <laughs> I think that's where I got. And um, still got a receipt, mate. You know, uh, no, I haven't. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, it's going to go back to Beast and Ox Bath. <laughs> but but effect- effectively, kind of thinking, oh yeah, it's just a bit long. I was a little bit. Oh no, it's another. You know, it's a two-hour, forty-minute, however long it is, two and a half-hour movie. And I actually thought this is an amazingly stupid film. And, and what happens is you have that horrible thing where all of the characters are experts. And you even have the Alan Page character who's brought in as a newbie so the world can be explained to her. But they still establish that she's a genius. And then you feel that they're not experts talking to each other. It feels like sort of, you know, sort of Freud for dummies. Really sort of basic sort of dream theory. And, and then what I feel they should have done is establish the groundwork in the first half of the movie and then just got on with the mission. But they're stopping halfway through every action sequence to explain what's going on. And it just drags everything down. I couldn't believe that Christopher Nolan actually got an Oscar nomination for writing the screenplay because it's abysmal. It's a really, really bad screenplay. It, it reminds me of why the, the, the my, one of my main reasons why I didn't like it when it first came out was that, uh, and I'd say this, I felt that it was the Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and 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 everybody was like, oh, it's so clever, it's so deep. Oh, yeah. they're going dream within a dream within a dream and it's slowing down. And I was like, yeah, but is it? Is it really? Like, if you actually put it down on an etch sketch put it down on paper, is it that clever? It isn't. It's just because a bunch of dummies who normally go and watch, like, the big budget films watch it, and, and I'm being harsh, but, like, allow me to be harsh for a second. Yeah, um, no, it's great. Um, uh, you know, they've gone in and they've gone, oh, yeah. that was really fun and it was really deep and it made me think, and it's just bullshit, mate. It was just Emperor's New Clothes bullshit. And I think that maybe Nolan had something to do with that. I don't. I think it might have been slightly on... Maybe on purpose. I don't know. Um, well, I, I don't. I don't think he's. I'm not sure. Well, I'm going to take that back because I think Oppenheimer was was really well written, and you get this. I mean, I don't really know anything about nuclear fusion, but it felt to me like they they dropped you into the middle of the world and you had to find your way. And because I because I, I think he does the opposite of what David Simon does. You know, the creator of The Wire, and mm-hmm. and his philosophy is you take a world with its own language and you drop someone in the middle of it, and for an episode you can't understand what they're talking about, but you tune in. And, and you get the most important points, you know. So he does he does that with the wire, with sort of police speak and, and drug speak. He does that brilliantly mm. with Generation Kill when you dropped into the middle mm. of a, a reconnaissance unit in Afghanistan, and they've got their own lingo, and you know what they mean. But you can look it up. But also you tune into the overriding meaning, and you understand what their intentions are. Yeah, and he, and he doesn't do any of that, and and it, and it sounds, it sounds, it sounds dumb. You know, and and it, and it kind of it kind of it kind of exposes itself a little bit. The, the other thing I want to talk about, unless there's anything else you want to say about the writing, no, it's just Emperor's New Clothes. Is the dream world is really boring because effectively it's not how dreams work. Because what he does, and what he does brilliantly, is he takes he assumes that you know your this might be how Christopher Nolan's dreams actually work. He assumes that you just dream the reality that you live in. And then weird stuff happens to it. So, you know, you, you've got to have to say that the, the dream rendering of when the world goes wrong is brilliant. So the famous bit that they, they plugged on the trailer where the city falls looks amazing. And you know it's amazing because it's been ripped off. Doctor Strange rips it off, you know, like almost the point of plagiarism. And, you know, this, the streets exploding, the, the, you know, the, the tilting, that they're brilliant. You know, the, you know, the action sequences where you've got these hotel corridors, like, rotating and you've got all this kind of gravity-defying fight work. But what you want is like a talking banana. 
or a unicorn running through yeah. or coming into a room where Leonardo DiCaprio shagging his grand or something like that. You know, the things that happen in real people's dreams <laughs> and things like that, you know, and it just doesn't bear any relation to how weird, random, yeah. incongruous, the strange stuff. And, and it kept reminding me of better dream films. I kept thinking, well, Nightmare on Elm Street does this sort of thing with with a fraction of the budget, much, much better. Yeah. And also yeah. he makes the mistake of referring to lots of dream films as well. Or he makes like little little nods. I mean he makes big nods to like on a Majesty's Secret Service. And all I kept thinking was, Yeah, the action in that's so much better than this. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know the scenes where he sees his children in his dreams, you never see their faces. They they're always the back and they run around the corner. Yeah. Did that remind you of Don't Look Now at all? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which I think will how much better did that film replicate dream logic? Yeah, yeah. And and then there's other things like you know like there's a bit where he, you know one of his characters goes into a vault and finds a man lying in a bed with tubes in him. And I thought well, 2001. And yeah, yeah. And and uh, 2001 mixed with a kind of rosebud moment from from you know because there's a there's, there's there's a word that's misunderstood that's interpreted, but also what he's doing is he's, he's you know at the end his his dreaming is very literal. You know, and and it's embarrassingly literal. So they're looking for a secret in someone's subconscious. Where's the secret hidden? In a literal safe, which seems, you know, that that, that it's not very dream logic. Everything's very literal. And so I felt like the, the dream world needed to be weirder. It needs to be more incongruous, needed to have more sort of almost like quasi soup for it to resemble a real dream. And maybe that's the way yeah. Nolan dreams. But even if it is, you, you, you'd have hoped that he'd have studied, you know, young or... You know, that's just that's my beginning and end of dream logic. You know, or like just you know some some of the great sort of you know the, you know the great minds on on dream logic and it, and and yeah. and, it, and, it, and yeah, I, I just felt like it just it just missed an opportunity to sort of stick you in someone's mind or subconscious and have a really weird, strange journey. And it's just it's just a very literal world. Yeah, I totally one hundred percent agree. One hundred percent agree. It wasn't. It just made it not that interesting. Ultimately, yeah. And the, as you said, the amount of um, uh, what's the word when you explain things a lot in films? Pedantry. Um, exposition. Exposition. Like, Over exposition. Yeah. A lot of that going on. Yeah. You, know, you just said. You know. Um, the uh, plus, I don't think the logic works. Like um, the totems are meant to be your totems yeah and you find out later that leonardo's totem is cotillard's totem yeah so you know what are we saying here like are we can we have some sort of like through line of um of consistency yeah um, you know the 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 moment where we see uh cotillard on the ledge you've got um dicaprio on the ledge on the other side like that's just weird what they're in two different hotel rooms well clearly maybe it's all a dream you know maybe the whole thing's a dream yeah. I read recently Michael Caine saying, um, uh, asking Nolan what is real and what is not when he was filming it. And Nolan said to him, if you're in the scene, it's real. Yeah. But I don't believe that. But do you, do you um, think that's, that's what he just says to Michael yes, Caine? Yeah, to get him to get him to just, you know. Yeah, shut up. Yeah. Well, no, oh, no, not shut up. I'm, <laughs> I'm, joking, I'm joking. Michael Caine's really good as well. I think Michael Caine's great. Good, I, yeah. I would like more of him in that. In that. You know, he's, he has five yeah. minutes and. You know, yeah. and and uh, but but no, I mean, I wonder if that's just what you tell actors to get them to play the reality of the scene. You, you, yeah. you don't want them play the reality that you want to see. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, in the way in the way that every actor has to think that they're the hero in the movie. You know, yeah, because, because they have they have they have to generate an inner life and whatnot, and all of, all of that sort of actor shenanigan. 
and and stuff. But but yeah, it's, it's weird. So I I think I'm, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and I'm supposed to be like devil's advocating here and advocating. And I have to say that Nolan does deserve credit, with the exception of the Batman movies, for never going down a franchise road and always trying to create sort of science, whether you like it or not. I mean, it makes lots of money. I mean, I think with the exception of Tenets, which is the only film he did that sort of bombed, um, you have to admire the well, his, his ability to create an amazing set piece um, and, 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 and his commitment to, I think, analog action, which I'm a big fan of, and, um, and, and sort of creating standalone new pieces of blockbuster cinema and not, not, not sort of, not, not sort of, Going to IP, existing IP, or or directing a sequel. What 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 do you think about that? Well, I do, but I mean, as you said, like there's still three Batman films that were like huge, massive hits. So like that sort of negates it. He did do that, you know. Yeah, I don't think no, it does because because I think because I think the Lion Sh- and he's done one remake. You know, he did he did he did. Um, yeah, yeah, he did Insomnia, which I liked actually. I remember really really liking that. Yeah. Um, but but he. But, but then, but that, but then, that's given him the financial muscle to do everything else. So, so it has, has, yes. it has been an, ele- yeah. an element of because he did two Batman films, he does Inception. Because yeah. he does The Dark Knight, you know, he can do Tenet. You know, he can, yeah. he can do Interstellar. He's not gone back and forth, back and forth, and he's just no. stuck with one trilogy. Which you know, like I rewatched Batman Begins two nights, three nights ago. Yeah. Really enjoyed it, and and I've yeah. seen it three times. And the first two times, I thought it was all right. Or yeah. I think I liked it the first time. Then the second time I was like, "Ah, oh, this is a bit rubbish." Yeah. But then watching it again, I was fully entertained and just in it the whole way. I was like, yeah. "Okay, this is cool. this is fun." Um, and obviously, I'll uh, I'm gonna I wanted to see Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises yeah. before this, but that didn't happen. But I will definitely have a look at them just to yeah. sort of maybe reassess. I I mean, my feeling with Inception this time round was pretty much the same. Yeah, um, I, I I enjoyed a great deal of it. But I had those nagging, um, you know, feelings all the way through it that yeah. just took me out and just made me think, yeah, it's kind of not as good as everybody thought it was. I, I uh, agree. I completely agree. Um, I think I think the the special effects guys won the Oscar for it, and they and they should have won the Oscar. Really for deserved it. it. They were brilliant. Amazing. Let me let me just let me just name check them: Chris Corbold and Paul Franklin. We salute you. Not that you yeah. are affirmation. No, your Oscars yeah, you... and, and millions and millions. <laughs> I don't know how much these guys make. So, so, so <laughs> can I can I tell can I tell you a, a, a dark no the Dark Knight Rises story? Because like, I'm forgetting where they they filmed part of Dark Knight. They, they, um, Woolerton Hall is Wayne Manor in you know our big stately home. Not not that's not the story. But they had uh, they had a screening. It was it was one of the first times I was aware that they did this. They had a five o'clock in the morning screening of it because they had this simultaneously released program, didn't they, to stop piracy. So when they brought it out, anywhere in the world, it was going to be screened at the same time. Brilliant. And, uh, a friend of mine had got tickets, and I got up to see it, and I was really ill. And uh, I, I went, this is pre-COVID, by the way, when you could do this, you could go, you'd go completely yeah. infected and irradiated. Guilt-free. Yeah, guilt-free. I wasn't killing anybody, and just myself. And I, I, went to, I went to this screening, I was absolutely packed at five o'clock in the morning. Um, and I was sick as a dog. And I thought I, 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 I gotta, I, got, I need. I, I was going to work next, but I should. I'm gonna phone in sick. I'm body. And then, and then we walked out, walked out of the cinema with my friend. And and uh, the local news station were like filming. They didn't film me, but they were filming people. 
and it was like, oh, I've got to go to work. <laughs> I imagine, I imagine if I rumble. Yeah, if I found it sick, and then they saw me going out of the cinema at five in the morning, I'd lose my Brilliant. Life. So I had to go, and it was horrible day's work, so I was like sick as a oh. dog. And was that Dark Knight Rises or Dark Knight? It was the last one with Tom Hardy, like, mumbling. Yeah, just, you know. <laughs> he's doing this weird voice. I'm <laughs> and, looking forward to seeing that again. Like, I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing this performance in it. I, he makes me laugh. Yeah, um, I think the the balls out, just barefaced cheek of it is just needs to be saluted. Um, yeah, and, I, I haven't watched because I, yeah, I, I was I was I was I was thinking about this the other day, with the exception of like um, Batman Begins. I don't think I've ever rewatched a Christopher Nolan film, which surprised me. He's a one and done guy. And, I, and I've enjoyed most of the ones. I like Tenet. I, you know, um, I admired the fact that he, he swung and he failed just in terms of trying to get people back in the cinema in the middle of COVID. I thought that was heroic. I don't I don't know if it's tilting at min, windmills because I don't know what I feel about the, you know, celluloid versus digital argument because I think if digital can recreate something as good as celluloid, it makes sense, you know, because it keeps costs down, makes sense. Um but I, I do admire him and Tarantino's like almost like Alamo like um defense of celluloid. Um yeah. I realise that I've just not gone back and rewatched any of his movies, you know, and I don't know why. Um yeah, that, that he's a one and done guy. I, I've I've wanted to watch it's the one that, that always gets forgotten apart from Insomnia. I've wanted to watch The Prestige again because mm. he he he, do, he he does introduce me to like kind of real life mad scientist figures I wouldn't ordinarily been interested in, like Oppenheimer, obviously. And I didn't know who Tesla was before I saw David Bowie play him, and then I became right. obsessed with Tesla um, a little bit. Not as much, you know, I mean, not enough to get into his actual science. I was interested in, you know, all the all the kind of lunatic shenanigans he got up to. <laughs> the fact that he was a kind of brilliant madman, you know. Mm. But, but yeah. Um, um, go on. I was just going to say, I like the merry band of actors uh, yeah. vibe that Nolan has. Yeah. Uh, and I just went through a number check of how many films, here you go, how many films has Michael Caine done with Nolan? I reckon, well, he was, oh, when did he first turn? Well, he's, he's like three Batmans, um, one Prestige, um, Interstellar, Tenet, um, I'm missing one. I'm going to go with Seven. He, he wasn't He wasn't in Oppenheimer because I think he's retired now, hasn't he? I think more or less retired. Is it Seven? Is Hi. it more than that? It's eight. Oh, wow. Was, of course, yeah. And yeah. Here's, the, here's the thing about, ah, I knew there's something else I wanted to sort of like quiz you about. His relationship with linear time in his movies has almost yeah. become like Tourette's um, yeah. in the sense that it's almost like M. Night Shyamalan's relationship with twists. Yeah. Um, do you wish that sometimes, because I felt this in Oppenheimer, do you wish sometimes you just tell a story from beginning to end, just in, 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 in a linear order? I mean... If I cared enough, yes. <laughs> I just don't care enough, I don't think. I don't yeah. like thinking about his films like that because I mean I enjoy the I enjoy nonlinear stories. I've not seen a, a a Nolan film since The Dark Knight Rises, I don't yeah. think. I've not seen Interstellar, yeah. Tenet, Dunkirk. I haven't seen Oppenheimer. I do want to go and see Oppenheimer, but um just finding the time. So, yeah, I haven't seen, I haven't rushed to his film. So he just kind of, he's a filmmaker who 
I, I salute him. I think that yeah. I'm so glad he's out there. Yeah. You know, I, I see more of Tarantino than I see of Nolan, but I do have problems with Tarantino films as well, you know, at times. Um, so I'm glad he's out there. I think he's brilliant, but I just, I'm just not drawn to his films. So the idea of whether he does a film non-linear or not just yeah. doesn't even crop up on my radar. Because I'll, I'll always go and see what, what, what. And I've, I've enjoyed the majority of the stuff he's done. I really hated Interstellar, by the way. And, and, right. I, and I think it, I think it, I think it suffers from a similar, which is what we haven't talked about. We, we've, we've alluded to it. I think it has a similar fault with Inception, in that it's this film that deals with sort of, you know, obviously, you know, it's a journey into outer space, and this one's a journey into inner space. But they're kind yeah. of epic journeys. But then they devolve into soap operas at the end. And um, and I called. I remember calling uh, Interstellar crying in space. Um, <laughs> that's that's what it ended up being. It ended up being this, this incredible film about distance travelled. That, that basically, and there's a lot of time folding in it. It's all really about Matthew McConaughey and his daughter. And you think, oh, okay. Kubrick wouldn't have cared about anybody and their daughter. And you know? Contacts did it loads better. Yeah, yeah, no. uh, yeah. And um, and he and he does he does the same. I'm going to contradict myself in a second, but he does the same with Inception, and Inceptor Stella. He, he does it. He does it with. He does it with Inception, because the last 20 minutes of the movie. Because I was watching the movie, I think, oh, all the action's done. We have still got 20 minutes. Has he got like? Has he got 20 minutes of credits? What we got? Where's it? Where's it? And then the, the last bit is like him like working out or not his problems with his wife within the dream space, and. And you think, oh, uh, it's, a, it's a soap opera now. But having said that, I was very, very moved by the last 10 minutes or five minutes of the movie. And, you know, and, and I try to think, well, why? And the person we haven't talked about is Hans Zimmer. I think Hans Zimmer's music does a lot of the heavy lifting for the film, I think. And this is a constant in a lot of the films we've talked about. Like the composer often supplies often what's lacking. The in, heart. Yeah, uh, yeah, the heart. And also the, the the last five or six or I don't know how long it was the la it plays without dialogue, and you think that's that's that that's a key to how the film could have been better, mm. less charm, and it mm. tells the story visually. You're a brilliant visual storyteller, just yeah. you know, just don't use words, you know, just just, just tell the story. And, and I really wasn't looking forward to the kind of you know the way his his wife's relationship plays out. So I didn't think I cared. And then I found myself genuinely moved, and I think no one's talking. The music's working. It's told purely visually, and it is genuinely moving. If only mm. you know, you know. So yeah, yeah. It's, 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 he's, 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 he's a weird one. He's there. He makes big movies. I'm glad he makes big movies and isn't like handcuffed to franchises and gets to have his own way. Um, makes films like Oppenheimer, which I had mixed feelings about. Yeah, more of the same, I presume. Not really, no. Because no, no, it, it's. I, I thought it was a very good film. It's a bit of a one and done film for me. You know, there's certain films that seem very, they're very significant, they're intense, they deal with very important issues. You watch them, you think that was brilliant. I'm probably never going to watch that again. Listeners and viewers don't hate me for this. I feel Schindler's List falls into that category. Yeah, it does, but yeah. for different reasons. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a it's a much better film. It's a brilliant film, but it, it's it's yeah. intense. It's, it's like Twelve Years a Slave falls into that category. Yeah. And Oppenheimer's like making similar claims. It's talking about the, the obviously the legacy of nuclear destruction and what this man unleashed onto the world and your forces he couldn't control. It's a very it's almost it's almost like a very small scale film shot, obviously with IMAX cameras. So it's it, it's mm. and again, 
I wish it had been told in a linear fashion. It's not. The performances are some of the best I've seen in a, in a Nolan movie. Chillian Murphy is brilliant. You know, he's paid his dues with Nolan. Obviously, he's like Peaky Blinders has elevated his status a lot, and he gives what should be an Oscar-winning performance at the at the end of the year. It's an astonishing performance. He's matched yeah. by Robert Downey Jr., who's who gives you know after after ten years of, of being Tony Stark, reminds you that he was always an absolutely phenomenally gifted character actor, and and he's brilliant in it. I think the women get short shrift. I think Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh don't have a lot to do. My my issue with it was, I mean, it's very long, it's very talky. That that's the film, but I wish it hadn't been. I wish it hadn't been advertised as a spectacle. So I went to see it in IMAX. I'd have probably seen it in seventy millimeter if there was a screen, you know. And and and, and the reason you go and see that is because of the recreation of the nuclear explosion in Los Alamos. Yeah. And I'd heard that he hadn't done it with any any digital assistance. Yeah. And you wish he had. You know, because it's filmed in a very abstract way, which you commend, but it's not great spectacle. And you need, mm. in the middle of a very, very talky film, a very cerebral film, you need that moment, that breathtaking moment where the widescreen, the IMAX screen is taken up by this massive mushroom mm. cloud. You think, come on, you know, relax your principles a little bit and use a bit of CGI, give us a bit of spectacle. And he doesn't. Yeah. And, and then I went away thinking, that, that was brilliant, but I'm exhausted. Mm. I'm probably not going to watch it again, you know? And, yeah. and so, which I think is a little bit of a problem. Um, might not be, might that make you, cause it'll stay in my mind. Um, and you know, there we go. Yeah. That's, I think the, the further I am from the release, um, <laughs> the less I want to see it, to be honest. Um, uh, Oppenheimer made more money because of Barbie, hot take or not so hot take um the, obviously barbenheimer um phenomenon yeah uh, lots of lots of people couldn't get to see barbie in the first week or so because yeah. it was so hot so they went to see oppenheimer i'm sure a lot of those people if you're going to see you know if you, most people if you're going to see barbie you're not going to see oppenheimer you know well, it's not but but what but what but what a wonderful <laughs> but what a wonderful like anomaly commercial anomaly that yeah, is too that these two, and I have to say, Barbie is 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 is. I would say blown. I would say probably more. You've seen Barbie, haven't you? Yeah, it's amazing. It's I, I would say it, it, it's probably more creatively innovative than Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah, and more yeah. just just as avant garde, more so in its own way. But it's also fun. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the other thing that that, that Christopher Nolan. I don't think he has a sense of humour. I'm not sure. I've not met him. You, yeah. you, you hear some actors out. You hear Liam Neeson. I thought it was a bit of a dick for saying this because, like, you know, you know, he, he mocks. He tells stories like clearly mocking, you know, um, Christopher Nolan. I think, well, you know, gave you a boost. You know, gave you a good role. You know, in Batman Begins. Just don't don't be mean about him. Yeah, he doesn't sound like a. He sounds like a, a good guy. Very very nice man. Clearly, very gifted man. Doesn't sound like a very funny guy. You know, and a very literal guy. You know, and, and stuff like that. And and I think the humour comes from outside elements. You know, the only film I can think of is, is it's genuinely funny is The Dark Knight, and that's and that's because he has the sense to let Heath Ledger just go with his character, who is called the Joker. So you have to create space for him to be funny. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think his I think his films. There's nothing wrong with a little humour. Even even Schindler's List has humour. It has black humour, but there's 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 you know there's humour in it. There's there's little bits that kind of leaven or underscore the point with either humour or black humour. Uh, yeah, and obviously Spielberg's a consumer entertainer. Anyway, you know, you know, he's, you know, 
have we have, have we have we have we sort of uh, said everything we've got to say about Nolan? I think so. What you were saying about just to, to finish off um, that point, I feel like Christian Bale's like that. Yeah, which is why he's, um, he's, he's like the perfect for about four films. He's like the perfect. But there's a, there's a lot of lot of warm character actors. I mean, I think Kenneth Branagh could be. I keep forgetting Kenneth Branagh turns up in a lot of his movies. He's hmm. yeah, but, but I mean, Killian Murphy's not funny particularly. I mean, he's funny in the Scarecrow when he plays the Scarecrow. But, yeah, but he's, he, he's, yeah. he's quite, he's a very intense. You know, I'm trying to think if any of his leading men have been like I think you know DiCaprio's funny, can be funny, he is funny, but not 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 not. In, and but he's a one and done guy, isn't he? With uh, Nolan, he never went back, never did another movie. Yeah. So yeah, and, and when he you know, I mean, he, he used Robert Williams, but he countercasted him, didn't he? So, you uh, know. Yeah, as as a as a child murderer. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you, I, you don't you just don't think of his films as being particularly funny. Where are the fucking jokes, Christopher Nolan? <laughs> yeah, right, make, where make, are the make jokes? A, make a comedy. You know, just yeah, just, let's have some laughs in. Yeah, come on, some la- let's have some laughs. It's yeah, so serious. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> I did. I did actually put that down. I didn't put that down my nose. <laughs> but I mean, you know, in, in Oppenheimer, you know, if like, you know, someone had their balls irradiated, you know, or something like that, just a little, just a little bit like that. You know, Matt Damon's good. Matt Damon's quite, quite funny in, in, in Oppenheimer. I forgot about him. We should, um, <laughs> we should wrap up now. Thank you again for listening to yeah. us bang on that our nonsense. <laughs> the next episode is going to tackle Richard Roundtree in Black Leather. In black leather, in the black exploitation classic Shaft. Yeah. Or is it a classic? Well, yeah, well, it's a cult classic. Massive commercial success. Through the claws are coming out, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Things <are about laughs> <to> get real. <laughs> and, um, and I don't know. I don't know. I think I think we sort of uncorked um, a bottle here. I think you've just been spent five episodes being really nice. Yeah. What a darkness. Your side of the screen, my friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was a bit scared of you. This episode. It's, it's my Jungian shadow side, oh, mate. It has to come out. Afraid. So I think I'm going yeah. to take the steering wheel on this one, this next one. Yeah. Just let you yeah. decompress, go to a yeah. mountain retreat, you know, siphon yeah. off some of that evil, and then and then um, and then you can come back swinging in in sort of evil devil shoulder mode, beast mode. <laughs> and and I, I wasn't very good at being an advocate for Inception, you know, so yeah. our, our natures reasserted themselves. And, yeah. Uh, you know. Well, it's off, off the back of Cat Baloo, mate. We were kind of on the same page with that we one were, as well. Yeah. Although we did say a lot of nice things, but let's do it. Let's go. Let's just go. Let's Thank go. you very much. Love you all. Thanks for yeah, listening. I tolerate you all. <laughs> we'll see you very soon. Bye. The mission has been completed. Groovy.